Well, turn with me, if you will, in the Word of God, of all places, Song of Solomon. And all the young people are saying, oh, yeah. Well, I'm not going to just talk about love and marriage and romance today. Uh, I did a series in Song of Solomon I was pastoring about three years ago, several, several weeks. But that's not what I want to talk about today. We were missionaries for many years in South America and Spain before marriage in Central America. Donna was in Hong Kong. But we were part of one of the greatest moves of God during that era in Paraguay. We, we were Assemblies of God missionaries, and Paraguay became the fastest growing national church in the whole world, over 100 countries. It was just an incredible explosion of God. It had been a very resistant country, very resistant. After, after 25 years, there were only 800 people, believers in the whole nation for the Assemblies of God. And compared to other countries in Latin America, it was it's paltry. But God gave a vision about a Paraguay task force, and I won't go into details, I didn't plan on talking about this, but it was an incredible impact on that country. It was a military dictatorship, such a powerful impact of that country that we saw a harvest of souls and healings by the power of God like I've never seen in my life. Before we left that country, we saw a stadium of 50,000 filling the stadium under the anointing of the Lord. Not me preaching, but, but under the auspices. And great move of God. Since that day, and we left there in 1988, we ended up going to Spain. From that day to this, I have longed once again to see that kind of a harvest. It's within me. There's a hunger within me. I'm first of all a missionary. I've been pastoring, but I'm a missionary pastor. We had two missionaries every month in our church because those who are in our church know that that's true. But I long to see that happen again. It doesn't just have to happen on the other part of the world. Why can't we have that kind of a move of God? I want to see it before I go to see Jesus. A great move of God and awakening, as we've called the great awakenings in the United States in past centuries, it's always precipitated by a hunger for God, a consciousness of his presence, and a divine source of prayer, hunger and prayer, asking God to move by his spirit. It's always coming, always comes from a hunger and prayer and seeking the face of the Lord. How many know I'm telling you the truth? And it's not going to happen at Christ Point or any other church until we have that deep hunger that is just not just not on the surface, but there is a deep hunger. Oh God, give me revival. Like like Jacob, give bless me. I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. That's how I feel about the move of God and the and the presence of God. Several years ago, George Otis, some of you may know who he is. But about six years ago, he wrote an article in the Charisma magazine. I think it was in, in, in uh, November six years ago. And he talked about 800 authentic awakenings around the world. These were awakenings where people by the droves came to Christ and salvation. So many things happened, not only, not only in the spiritual, but the natural things began to happen. 
the Fiji people repented and repented for their past sins and the sins of their ancestors and started seeking God. And all of a sudden, they had parts of that country that had been dead. The, the coral reefs had been dead. The plantations were not working. And all of a sudden, that turned around. Should we be surprised that that did not the word of God say if we, if we humble ourselves and they that are called by his name are humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways? He said he would hear from heaven and he would heal our land. You know why it's the Republicans or the Democrats are go, or the independents are going to bring a solution to America? We've got to bring him by our hunger for him and he will show up. Of the, interesting enough, of those 800 countries, or 800 places, not just countries, 800 places where there was a divine waking of God, and by the droves, people were getting saved, and lives were being changed, society changed. Drug cartels begin to close down. One of those countries, some 60,000 people gathered for a prayer meeting and a soccer stadium, because God began to move. But of the 800 Places around the world, only two happened in the United States. Two. Fact is, the Western world, places like Western, Western uh, Europe and Japan and what we call the Western world, only two had an awakening. One was in the northern part of Alaska, almost the Eskimo area. A village got hungry for God, not a big place, but they got hungry for God and God turned things around. The other one was Clay County, Kentucky, filled with drugs and suicide. and It was a disaster. Usually revival comes when we've given up that we can't bring the solution and we start looking to God and he brings the solution. They had an incredible move of God in Clay County. And it changed everything. Again, once again, the deer came back and, and the streams were cleared. And, and, and the, what happened what brought revival in the high school and, and throughout that village or that, that county, more than just the village. God can do it again. How many believe God can do it again? One thing about it, it's only going to happen when we have hunger for the presence of God. Now the passage I'm going to read today may seem a little strange because I'm going to talk about hunger for God, awakening and prayer. I'm going to ask for a commitment. I'll tell you right now at the end of the service, I'm going to ask for commitment for the coming year. Song of Solomon is one of a thousand five songs that he wrote, song that King Solomon wrote. This is, this is his crown jewel of all that he wrote. And quite honestly, this passage is a great passage of, about intimacy and love between a king and his bride. And I don't want to take, I don't want to take that out from that. This is a great passage uh, about love. The whole, the whole book is the intimacy and, and, and the romance. But I'm going to use this passage as an allegory for the church. There's a king that I'm very much in love with. How many are in love with the king? Begin reading with me in Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2. And I'll re-refer to this in the first half of this message quite a bit. The message today is, say it with me, if not now, when? Say it with me. If not now, when? The scripture says this is the, the, 
the damsel, if you will. She said, I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my lover is knocking. Then he responds, open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. And she responds, hmm, I have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? My lover thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for me. I arose, this is still the lady talking, I arose to open for my lover and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the lock. I opened for my lover, but my lover had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him and did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my cloak, those watchmen of the walls. O oh, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my lover, what will you tell him? Tell him, I am faint with love. I am faint with love. We're going to apply this to the church, to you, to me, in the passage today. Five simple points taken right out of the scripture. The first point is his unexpected visit. Verse 2, it shows, I slept, my heart was awake, but listen, my lover is knocking. He said, open the door to me. The unexpected visit. She had not planned on this particular rendezvous with King Solomon. It was unexpected. The maiden was in love with her lover. There's no doubt by the expression that we see later in the passage. She loved him. He loved her. There's no doubt of their relationship in that sense. But it was at an unexpected time. He raps on the door at a most inconvenient time. She desired him, but now, now, she was sleepy, she was tired, she was weary, she was ready for rest, a little bit of me time, she was ready for it. Tomorrow would be a better time. Not right now, not right now. She didn't say that in the words, but did she not indicate that? Must I get up? Must I put my robe back on? Don't expect God to hang around if there's anything greater than your need for Him. Can I repeat that? This is about a relationship with us and our King. Don't expect to God for God to just hang around with all of His blessings. If there's anything in this world that is of greater need to us, than what our need is for him. She heard her lover knocking on the door. That was the first evidence, by the way, that, uh, that uh, the lover was outside of, her, outside of her comfort zone. He was knocking on the door. Reminds me of, of 
Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's talking to the church, church of Laodicea, on the outside of the church. He said, I stand at the door and knock. He's, in other words, he's on the outside. If any, man, if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he with me. Then she hears his voice. She hears his voice pleading pleading to let him come in because now the dampness of the night, his hair was wet and the dampness of the night, he wanted to come in to the one that he loved. And yeah, she loved him. But at first there was a hesitation there, not really wanting to do it. Notice that the scripture says, notice that the scripture says here, my hair is dreamt of the, dark, the darkness or of the dampness of the night. Note, his tender words. He said, open to me. This, again, Song of Solomon wrote it as, as a relationship between him and the one that he loved. But put us, let's put ourselves in the relationship with Jesus himself. And, she, and she, he said to her, open to me, my sister. Look at the phraseology he used. My sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. Only mother-in-laws think their daughters are flawless. But my flawless one. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about Jesus and his bride. We're the glorious church that is blameless, without spot or wrinkle. His opinion of this, this damsel, my flawless one. The second point in this simple message today is her momentary hesitation. Verse 3, let me read it again. Verse 3, I have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? Momentary hesitation. And we've already established that she loved him and he loved her. But here's a hesitation. She's unsure of her next move. She had already taken off her robe. She was ready for sleep. Uh, should she forego sleep and comfort? just to put it on and have relationship with him and open the door for him. It, it, it wasn't, just wasn't in her plans and her schedule for that moment. How many times do we miss a great move of God because we are so busy, our plans and our me time, but we don't have time for God. How many are hearing me this morning? It's not a rebuke, not at all. It's to stir us up for a fresh hunger for him. He was a bit of a bother coming at that time. He was just a little bit of a bother. You could tell it in the tone of her voice. Must I? Twice she used that. Must I? Let me tell you, when God comes calling, I, how many want to be open to him? I remember, I love to read revi about revivals. I was reading last night, or night before last, I was reading about Charles Finney. I'm going to talk to him a little bit, a little bit later. But, uh, but I, I, I remember reading about the great move of God that was in Scotland, especially in the Hebrides Islands in 1949, and it lasted for about three years. Great move of God. Duncan Campbell was a speaker. A couple of old ladies, 82 and 84, not as old as they used to be when I was younger, but honestly, these were, these were great aunts of President Trump. 
But they lived in a, in a village and they started crying out for a move of God. Lord, you've got to send a move of God. We need revival. There was absolutely not a young person in the whole area that was in church and serving God. It, it was deader than a doornail. And they started crying out. And then God put on one of the sisters was blind, the other was somewhat crippled, and, and felt from the Lord that God had spoken to them about Duncan Campbell. So they talked to their pastor, and, and, he, and he sent word to Duncan Campbell, who was a great revivalist in Europe at the time. Some of you may have some of his books, a great man of God. And he told them, I can't, I'm scheduled up so much, I can't do it. I can't do it. He was in a Keswick convention. If you know anything about Europe and especially back in back in last century, the Keswick conventions were a deeper life convention where by the thousands people would come together and great speakers would, spe would, would speak. Some of the greatest speakers of the era would speak. And Duncan Campbell was sitting on the front, front row here. He was the next speaker. And the Holy Spirit spoke to his heart. And he told somebody, I've got to go. He got up. In those days, they didn't have a lot of flights. He, he left. He was the next speaker. But he heard from the Spirit of God. He got up, went to the port, caught a boat, got over to the island, the Lewis Island, got over there. When he got there, people were waiting for him because they had been praying. They knew the will of God. He had just put it off. It was a bit of a bother because he had his schedule. How many knows our schedules can get in the way of God? He came onto that island they took it at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and they ended up being in the seeking the face of God till 4 o'clock the next morning, and there was such a mighty move of God that went for three years across those islands. Let me tell you, when God moves, we better move as well, or we can lose that moment. She probably felt, I'm just recovering from the day. I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. Not now. The third simple point of this passage, again, this is verse 4. Notice what it says here. My lover thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I lived the first half of my adult life, more than the first half of my adult life, living in third world countries, South America, Central America, traveled in other countries. But let me explain what this is. He said he thrust his hand through the latch door. The door wasn't open. There was just a little latch. In some of these countries that I've been in, probably some of you have traveled there as well, they didn't always have the glass. And certainly back in Old Testament Bible times, uh, for uh, perhaps a poor person, they wouldn't have glass. That would be something special. But there's a little door, probably about 9 inches by 12 inches. I've seen this hundreds of times as we were ministering and evangelizing door-to-door -door in different countries of Latin America, etc. They would just open that door to see who their visitor was. Not the whole door, just a little latch door. He thrust his hand I wonder how many times God has access to our hearts through a latch door when he's asking us to open the complete door. Are you with me today? He thrust his hand through the door. She recognized that hand. Oh, it was a hand, a tender hand to caress her. It was a loving hand to hold her. It was a strong hand to protect her. She recognized that hand. She had seen the hand of her master before. 
it was a soothing hand to calm her in turbulent times. It was a servant's hand to meet her every need. It was a ruling hand to guide her. It was a royal hand, a royal hand to give her favor. Just as in the old times, many centuries ago, a royal person, especially in Bible times, Old Testament times especially, a king, a royal person would have a scepter. And if you came to see the king and, and he didn't want to see you, he did not extend his hand with the scepter, you could be executed immediately. But she saw this hand of royal hand. He was king. The one who wrote this was king, King Solomon. She saw that royal hand coming through her little latch door. She recognized that. She recognized that hand. I'm telling you, that hand sounds a lot like Almighty God's hand to you and I. Isn't that right? But she had only opened the little door. But when she saw the hand of her master and immediately her mind whizzes and thinks of all the things she had received from that hand, suddenly within her heart there was a stirring within her heart. Desire was birthed within her. Her heart beat wildly for him. She forgot about it being, being sleepy. She forgot about how inconvenient this moment was. She thought to herself, how foolish of me to hesitate. The fourth point of the simple message today is her belated response. Verse 5. I arose to open for my lover. My hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers flowing myrrh on the handles of the lock. I opened for my lover. Oh, yes, she was responding now. It was a belated response. I rose for my lover. I rose in a passion for him. I rose physically to embrace him, to, to once again place his hand or my hand in his hand. To open the door. She was ready to open the door now. Not just the latch key. Not just a little, little bitty door. The 9 inch by 12 inch. That's about the size of most of the ones I've seen throughout Latin America and other places. Now she's ready to open the door. She is ready. Her, her passion is now birthed with the hand. She remembered all the good things from that hand. She's ready to respond. Open her arms, her heart, her affection to him. Dripping perfume. The scroll, scripture said twice that myrrh was just dripping off of her. She was ready. She was ready to passionately respond. But then the last point of the message, the unexpected departure. Scripture said, I opened my lover. I opened for my lover. She opened the door. The unexpected departure departure, but my lover had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. I want to make a simple point here today. I already established that 
She loved him and he loved her. But he was not driven away. Hear me well today. He was not driven away by her rejection. Just her hesitation. Just her hesitation. She didn't say go away. She just was bothered by the sequence of events. She wanted some me time. And so he was driven away, not because she told him to get out of here. I don't want you, God. Just her hesitation. Oh, my God, help us not to hesitate when his spirit speaks to our heart. When he burdens us. When he comes and not just blesses us financially, but he comes and his presence is here. May we not rush out to the restaurant. May we not rush onto our, our, our own occasions, things that are on our agenda. A momentary distraction of lesser things can cause us to miss the most important things. You're quiet today. It's okay. I'm down to my last 45 minutes, so don't get, don't get worried. We don't have to tell God no. We just have to be slow in obedience. I remember when we were moving back from, from Texas years ago, 19 years ago now, I remember seeing on the church sign, and I've seen it since on Facebook, but I, that so impressed me. It never left my mind. It said, partial obedience is not obedience. It's disobedience. We can hesitate and miss God and all that he has planned for us. All he has planned for us. The, the final point. Point six, the un, the un, don't get too big of a hurry because I've got some things I want to say after I share the final point. Her unfruitful search, notice from the middle of verse six onward. I looked for him, did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. The watchman, notice what happened. The watchman found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my cloak. Those watchmen of the walls. She was beaten by the authorities outside of her door looking for her master. But listen to me, why would they do such a thing? They didn't, there wasn't enough evidence to prove that she was the king's consort. Not enough evidence to show that what she was saying, that she was looking for King Solomon. She was looking for, she was looking for her Lord, if you will. There wasn't enough evidence. There wasn't the scent of the king. Remember the story, Mary and Martha loved that passage where the Bible says when she opened up her up or alabaster box and poured it on the Lord, on the Lord's, one, one passage says on his head, the other on the, on his feet, there's, Two great passages putting them together. It's not either or, but both things happened that night. But the Bible said that the room was filled with the fragrance. Oh my goodness. Everybody that went out of the even 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 I suppose even I suppose the criticals. P 
people like uh, like uh, uh, who, who tra- betrayed the Lord? Who betrayed the Lord? Who? I can't even think of it. Judas. <laughs> I'm old, right? <laughs> even Judas, all of them, when they left the room that day and they went down Main Street of Bethany because it happened in Bethany, people sitting on the sidewalk, said, they didn't have sidewalk, but sitting beside the road, ah, he's been with the Lord because the fragrance had permeated. Isn't that true? Oh, there goes in the, yeah, he's been with the Lord. Well, in this passage, Old Testament passage, Song of Solomon, they beat her because there was no physical, no real evidence that she belonged with the king and he belonged to her. I wonder what happens to the church when we miss a visitation of the Lord. We're just such a hurry to get out and get about our daily cares of life that we miss that extra anointing, that extra favor of God, that extra presence of God that we could make an influence on our community. Maybe the world is not seeing our connection. We criticize the world. There's a lot of things wrong with the world, but maybe it's because they have not sensed that we've been with Jesus. Are you with me? When you're with Jesus in the powerful presence of Jesus and you become permeated, people are going to recognize. People are going to start hungering for what we have. But if it's only a casual latch door experience with the Lord, it's not enough, friends. There's too many things out there to draw the attention and the the affection of the world. But oh my goodness, if we invite him in and we become permeated with him, there will be an attraction. There's power, power in the presence of God in such a way. I want to share a little bit from history. Again, again, fervent prayer, hunger for the presence of God is always the basis of revival. It doesn't come, you can invite the best preacher around and we've got got him right here as our pastor. But that's not enough. That's not enough. Throughout history, it always is preceded. Great revivals are preceded by hungering and thirsting and fasting and praying and crying out for the lost. A close analysis will inevitably show that. I'm just going to share a couple of examples. When I was a young man in Bible college 100 years ago, Southern Bible College, predecessor of messenger that was here in town. That's where I met my wife, by the way. My wife, wait, my wife. That's, she's wife of 40 years now. She looks older than 40 years, but she's my wife for 40 years. Not much on Yeah, I love my wife. I started buying books at the bookstore. In fact, I worked at the bookstore, and, and Sister Gatcher gave me 40% off of all the books, and I feel I've, got, I've got thousands of books today. I really, literally do. I'm, I'm investing in a lot of young ministers. But one of the, one of the people that, that, that God just put in my heart to read after was Charles Finney, great man of God. He was a re- revival, an attorney that got saved, and he was very logical in his presentation of the gospel. Uh, altar calls that we do almost every Pentecostal service, he was the first one that did that kind of an altar call. 
the kind of very similar to the altar calls that we do today. He he was the first one to start planning uh, meetings and mobilizing people for prayer, mobilizing people for a great impact. But in 1930, 1920s and 30s were the biggest time for him. But uh, but something happened. I, I want to say this. Whenever there's a successful revival, it's not just because of methods. It's because there are some people behind it who are seeking God for an outpouring of the Spirit of God. Desperately seeking God. Are you hearing me today? It's always the case. Charles Finney, if you read his story, and there are many books that give segments of his story, and I was reading more of it this week, but there was a man named Daniel Nash. He was a pastor, an older man than, than Brother Finney, quite a bit older. And he had pastored a country church that had a spontaneous move of God, a genuine revival. But the people in his church didn't like him traveling out. Uh, we've got a pastor, by the way, that people love to have him come and preach. And uh, aren't you glad we have that kind of a pastor? He's a wonderful man. Don't ever try to hold him back. He is an extension of who you are as he goes with the message anointing of God. But this is back, this is back in the late 19, or 1820s. Uh, right at almost 1830, but the late 1820s. Awakening was happening, but but uh, his church uh, decided to vote. They voted him out. They wanted a younger man. They voted him out. He had some health issues at the eye that you could hardly see out of, got kind of blinded, but the Lord healed his eye, and he, and he dedicated himself to intense prayer. He joined with the evangelistic crusades, of, of Charles Finney. And what he would do, he would go before, weeks before Finney would go to a particular city, he would go before and he would, he would go in basements and, and back of churches or whatever, and he would intercede and fast and pray and groan in the Spirit, crying out, Oh God, send revival. Oh God, awaken, awaken this city to you. And then during the crusade, you wouldn't see him on the platform. He would be in a back room somewhere praying and interceding. God used him mightily as he fasted and, and sought God. There was another man, by the way, as well, that worked alongside of him that was, that was very, very used of God in the same way. His name was, was Clary. But they would seek God. The greatest revival that he had that Finney had, and oftentimes we only talk about the person who's up here on the platform praying, but let me tell you, or they're preaching, but let me tell you, if, if nobody's praying in the pew, it's going to be flat. We might have a good message, but if there's not a hunger and a preparation of the body of Christ, it's going to fall flat. It's going to fall flat. But that revival that happened in Rochester, New York, word got out and people began to come around and they had 100,000 conversions. 100,000 conversions. And if you knew the whole story, he didn't even want to go there because he was going to work with three churches. One church didn't have a pastor. A second church, I just read that this week, the, the second church had a conflict, a major conflict. It was dividing down the middle. And the third church that he was going to work with as a basis for the crusade, uh, they, had a, they had a leader in the church, a deacon in the church. So it was a conflict with the pastor, and it was causing division. And Finney said, I'm not going to go there. 
I'm not going to go there. He shared with some of his friends. They said, don't go there until the Holy Spirit knocked on the door, just like in the story, and wanted in. And he didn't just open the latch. He said, Lord, if you say, I will do it. He was going to go one direction. He went the other direction. And had 100,000 people saved. It's not one. It's when the team, you got a great team here, pastoral team. I am amazed. This is a great, great team. But it takes all of us, not just, don't just, not the paid professionals. No, we've got to have a burden for this ourselves. Do we want to see 2019 a revival in Galena, a revival in Cross Point? Then it's taking us all. Right after the climax of that great meeting, Nash died in December. December of, of 1830. And Finney, the great evangelist Finney, only continued his crusades the way he had been doing them for four more months. He ended up pastoring a church in, in, in New York. Later he became a professor and then the, the president of Oberlin College uh, in, in, in Ohio. And he would go preach meetings now and then, but it was rare and only when they were already prepared because he lost his greatest prayer support. We don't think of that, do we? But let me tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask for commitment today at the climax of it, so if you don't want to make a commitment, best if you leave now, because I'm going to ask commitment for you. Let me tell you one more story, and then we're going to pray. New York City, 61 and a half years ago or so, First of all, how many knows what Jesus said in Matthew 9, 37? said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors. That's a prayer that's always right, to pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors. There was a man named Dick Simmons. You probably never heard of Dick Simmons, but a man named Dick Simmons. One night he positioned himself on the Hudson River overlooking New York City. He was, was burdened for the lost. The gangs of New York City was ravaging the city. Young people were killing each other. Drugs became big, but there were gangs that were horrific. I was just a boy when this happened. And this gentleman, Dick Simmons, positioned him on the side of the river the Hudson River, looking at New York City. And he began to pray. He was praying that God would send somebody to reach those kids. He began to groan in the Spirit and cry out to God. Oh God! Oh God! Send somebody to those lost young people. The groaning and the cries were so severe that a policeman stopped to arrest him. This is history, friends. A policeman stopped to arrest him and said, what in the world are you doing? And he, Dick Simmons just simply said, I'm praying that laborers will go to the harvest field because I don't want to see the kids of New York City go to hell. What he didn't know 
At the same time, God was getting a young Pennsylvania preacher ready to do something about it. This happened soon after. It was February the 9th, 1958. This preacher was watching late night TV. He's 25 years old. Pastor of Pentecostal Church. He was watching late night TV. And he just kind of felt empty. Felt like I'm wasting time. And he thought to himself, what would happen if I went onto the streets and started taking the message outside of the church? He said, I wonder what would happen if I dedicated the... Hear me tonight, this morning. What would happen if I dedicated the time that I'm spending watching TV and I dedicated that time seeking God for a move of God? Well, he thought, I think I'll just try it. So he gave God a little window. <laughs> he put his TV for sale. He knew when it came onto the streets, when it would be delivered. And he gave God 30 minutes. If it was God's will, let God sell that TV in 30, 30 minutes. That's the latch story, <laughs> not the whole story. Anyway, the time passed. He watched his clock. He knew what the time was when the, the, when the papers of that town got on the street. He watched his clock, 28, 29, and his phone rang. He got a call, and the man on the other side said, are you the man selling a TV? He said, yes, sir, I am. He said, how much is it? He hadn't even thought about putting a price on it. How much is it? He said, $100. The man said, I'll take it. I'll buy it. So he went by and picked it up. So, for the next 15 days, this man, <coughs> at TV time, was praying, praying for a move of God. Would it be incredible if we gave the time that we spent on Facebook in prayer? Would that be incredible? This, so on the 24th of February, that same year, he he he. He was awakened by the Lord in his spirit on the 9th. He prayed for 15 days on the, on the 24th of February, 1958. He was praying. It was his prayer time, but there was a Life magazine there beside him, and he was praying. He kept being drawn to that Life magazine, so he opened it up. And when he opened it up, he flipped over to page 30 and 31 of that Life magazine. And it showed, it showed a gang of New York City that had killed a polio victim, murdered him. His name was Michael, Michael, Michael Farmer. He was killed by the gang. And the pastor immediately became compassionate for that, that group. That was on a Tuesday night. The next night was a midweek prayer meeting. He shared what God had showed him. He'd been praying for a move of God, and then all of a sudden he saw these young people in the courtroom in Life magazine. They took an offering on that Wednesday night, and he went to New York City. 300 miles away, didn't have any contacts. He just felt like somebody was knocking on the heart's door about the lost of New York City. He went there, he found the courtroom, 
He didn't know anything about protocol, about the court. He went into the courtroom, found a place to seat, be seated, and, and the proceedings of the court, and, and of course the accusations and the lawyers and all the things that happened. He didn't know better. He didn't know, he didn't know the protocol, so this man stood up and said, I want to talk to the, these boys. His burden was for their lostness. The judge took the gavel and hit his desk and kicked him out. He said, take this man out. He had a Bible under his arm and he started going out the back door confused because he felt like the Lord had led him there. And There was a reporter there and said, the reporter said, what's that under your arm? And it was a Bible. He held up, it's a Bible. And they snapped a picture. The next day, friends, the New York City newspaper right front and center was the picture of this preacher with the Bible. David Wilkerson still didn't have a lot of direction. He just had a passion. He wanted to see the lost saved. He went to the streets where God had indicated in his heart. And all of a sudden, one of the gang members saw him and recognized him. Aren't you that preacher? Aren't you that preacher that stood up with the gang yesterday in court? And David Wilkerson, well, yes, I am. David Wilkerson is who I'm talking about. David Wilkerson, instead of giving God a latch, he opened the door, and look what God did. Today, any day, there are approximately 24,000 people today preparing in Teen Challenge around the world because somebody forgot about the latch door and said, okay, God. Because there was a prayer warrior named Dick Simmons who positioned himself, oh God, oh God, sin revival. Sin revival. I want to see one more great move of God and I would love for it to begin right here. I would love for it to begin right here. But it's not going to happen with casual Christianity. It's going to happen where we would rather die than see people lost. Are you hearing me today? It's commitment time. I want you to stand where you are. And I want you to come into this altar and stand. It's time for us. It's time for us, church, to open up the whole door. We cannot continue to treat our lover as casual 